Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 17th, 2016. Looking at my program notes, just shaking my head. I feel like I put a comedy sketch together, but the problem is, is this isn't comedy, it's real. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of really crazy, bizarre things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word. That's right. We slow down. We stop. We open up God's Word and we compare what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, uh, authors, self-appointed apostles, apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God, to test and see if what they're teaching squares with what God's Word says. Are they teaching what the Word really reveals, what the Holy Spirit has inspired the biblical authors to write and to teach us regarding doctrine and life and things like that? And over and again, we find that what is being taught out there is far from biblical Christianity, far from historic Christian orthodoxy. It's, it is literally the more innovative and the, the less faithful you are to the written word of God, the more popular you seem to be nowadays. It's as if people don't want to hear sound doctrine at all. And they are richly rewarding and gathering to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Does that sound biblical? It should. All right, let's talk about what it is we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I said, I'm looking at my notes here going, this really should be something of a comedy sketch. But unfortunately, this is... We're reporting on real things that really are being said, all in the name of Christianity of Christ, and yeah, it just just doesn't work. Anyway, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with a uh, <laughs> an end-of-the-world update, if you would. Uh, the, the, uh, Zach Drew and Sasha Vols in uh, Revelation in the News are going to explain why we need to anticipate 
uh, nuclear war before January 20th. Of course, this is on the Jim Baker Show YouTube channel, which then, of course, you know, kind of begs the question, is the reason why they're saying we need to anticipate nuclear war before January 20th because the book of Revelation teaches that? Or because, well, it'll help move um, product there at the Jim Baker Show. You know, I'm just saying, you know. And uh, then we're going to do a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin. We're going to head down to the, the power and the glory outpouring as we listen to Miranda Nelson for a little bit and uh, carry on in, in such a way where she will then explain that she's drunk in the spirit. And, uh, and <laughs> yeah, and... Let's do a little bit of one of her recent messages. And then we're going to uh, hear from Steve Schultz of The Elijah List and uh, what God is saying to the church on Prophetic TV. That's right. There's a YouTube channel called Prophetic TV, and he recently gave them an interview. And then we have a a Hillsong update. We're going to listen to a part of a message by Brian Houston where he is pulling on and teaching on some of the – the themes, if you would, of um, of the prosperity gospel, yeah, and the prosperity preaching and teaching. And then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, this is where Robert Morris uh, holds court. And we're going to listen to a guest preacher named Dave Smith as he explains to us how the story of Joseph apparently is teaching all of us that we need to be living the dream. Uh huh. And the reason I'm putting this in the mix is by way of contrast to what it is you've heard me teaching on the story of Joseph in depth in our um, ramblings through Genesis. And you'll see the total difference if, you, if you're going to put it on Christ or you're going to put it on yourself, which, of course, begs the question. We'll, we'll get there. It, it, you know, and so he's going to make the claim that apparently the story of Joseph teaches us that we need to be dreaming the dream. So are you dreaming the dream? Well, maybe you're not. I mean, you know, if, if you're not, you're sinning. You're you're not doing what God has commanded you to do. I think you get the idea. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we need to cover. Since we're going to begin with um, a doom and gloom, end of the world update, that requires us to do this. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. All right, that's uh, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times, and his wonderful (laughs) song, Doom and Gloom, coming soon. All right, so we're heading over to the studios of the Jim Baker Show on their YouTube channel. They have a special uh, program that appears weekly titled Revelation in the News. And, of course, I have a question for you all. Uh, Can you point me to the passage in the book of Revelation that reveals that uh, nuclear war will happen before January 20th of next year. Um, can does, does any passage come to the top? Now, I can't seem to recall 
uh, the biblical text in the book of Revelation that says that nuclear war will occur between now and January 20th, 2017. But, hey, you know, what's the point of being biblically accurate nowadays? No one seems to be interested in doing that. So here's Zach Drew and Sasha Voles as they explain to us why we need to anticipate nuclear war before January 20th. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Revelation in the News. I'm Zach Drew. And I'm Sasha Voles. Wow. Okay, so should we expect direct nuclear conflict, a war, possibly even a World War III, before uh, January 20th, before Obama officially leaves office? Um, okay, um, the name of your program is Revelation in the News. And um, that being the case, I mean, immediately, Zach, I would expect that you would say, now, everybody, open up your Bible. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 14, right? And let's look at what it says. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 14. And look, you see right there in Revelation 14, it talks about the nuclear war that's going to happen in World War III, which will begin before January 20th, 2017. I would expect that if you're going to be talking about Revelation in the news, that you would actually open up the book of Revelation. You know, I'm just saying, it just seems obvious that that's what you should be doing, right? think that's a great possibility. And see, here's the thing. I know a lot of people over the years have said, well, this conflict could lead to war, whether it's, you know, on this side of, you know, political pundits or whatever is saying, hey, these set of circumstances could lead to war. Maybe the other side are saying, hey, these set of circumstances could lead to war. But the difference this time is that it's not political pundits or just analysts of certain situations. This is an actual country. The country of Russia is preparing their citizens right now as we actually are talking over this broadcast for direct nuclear conflict with the United States. Now, I believe that this could possibly happen before January 20th. And if you want to get spiritual about it, uh, which we are going to, and we're going to address this later on in the show, I wouldn't be a lick surprised if this conflict takes place in direct correlation to what we decide to do with Israel before January 20th. Yeah, and it's an amazing thing because we've watched it throughout history. We've watched it even in our recent history of any time we've attacked Israel or we decided that we're going to divide some of their land. We've seen the repercussions here in America. We've seen it worldwide. And now we're facing this fact exactly. that we may be dividing Israel again. And that's where we're kind of worried because this could step us into a whole new realm of yeah, I, I have to ask the question, is God's protection over physical Israel? which is a nation of people who deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, or is God's protection promised for those who are grafted into true Israel, Uh those who are grafted into Israel through the faith of Abraham? I, I, I just have to ask the question, and again, where in the book of Revelation does it say that we need to anticipate nuclear war to begin between now and, um, well, January 20th. 
character. And and the thing is, is that I am a patriot, okay? I'm a nationalist. I love America. But uh, you've got to also be intelligent whenever you look at these situations because a lot of times we can be so skewed with our nationalism or our, our you know, our hardcore patriotism that we think, well, if we get in a war, we're just going to whoop whoever's there. We have we still like are coming out of this World War II mentality of, hey, the whole world comes against us. America will prevail. And you know what? We might be more intelligent than Russia. And our government is surely far supreme than theirs. But the thing is this. Russia has more nukes than the United States has. Russia has better missiles. You are aware that um, we have missiles that are capable of hitting Russia back. Why would Russia start nuclear war knowing that we would retaliate in kind? United States has, and they have far better technology. And especially just since Obama uh, went into office, we have disarmed. Are you ready for this? 95% of our nuclear arsenal. 95%. So the bottom line is this. Let's- yeah, it's as if he doesn't understand anything. Have you ever heard of an Ohio-class nuclear submarine? Yeah. Uh, these things, uh, when you talk about nuclear arsenals in the world, you have the United States, Russia, and then one single Ohio-class submarine. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is ridiculous. Hey, I'm getting in a fight with somebody, and that other person might be five times smarter than me, and they have a knife, and I have a gun. Who's going to win? I am. Even though that other person might be five times smarter than I am and have a better you know, government, if you will, I have more power. I have more weapons. Yeah. They have more nukes, better missiles, and they're far more advanced than, uh, than us than in technology. And they are preparing right now for a nuclear conflict with the West. Yeah, and- really, Russia is more technologically advanced than the United States? Uh-huh. Amazing. It really is. Watching it right now, it's crazy to think that the media has painted Putin as this warmonger, hateful person that's crazy. It's a horrible guy that's out in Russia. But- is Putin uh, suicidal? That's what I'd like to know. Right now, we're looking at it. He may be a bad guy, but he's the guy with the gun right now. He yeah, is the one. Sure. We, as we've disarmed in the past years in this administration, we've seen ourselves def- our, dar- disarm ourselves 95%. Yeah. Yet, they are ramping up. They're getting ready. They're warning their people, their own citizens, to get ready for this. Come back to their homeland and get ready for this. This is something we're going to go into in the show. But watching this right now, as much as we've painted him to be the bad guy in Russia, mm-hmm. he he is the guy with the gun right now, and that's what we need to be prepared for. And, you know, I want to take a different spin on that because I believe that, once again, the media has portrayed uh, – yeah, I'm just having a very difficult time believing that Zach Drew and Sasha Vols um, have the military intelligence background, uh, <laughs> the proper training in, you know, diplomacy – uh, in order to really be making informed statements here um, <laughs> regarding whether or not we should anticipate nuclear war before January 20th. And what they're saying kind of demonstrates that they don't really understand how certain things work. It's as if they didn't live through the Cold War like, well, I did. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's the strangest thing that I'm listening to here. And again, I I just got to ask the kind of obvious question. 
where in the book of Revelation does it reveal that we're going to experience nuclear war with Russia before January 20th of 2017? And I'm just having a difficult time, you know, finding that passage. So these two are kind of shooting off their mouth, and neither one of them really sound like they're truly briefed and up to speed and knowledgeable in diplomacy, military technology, how we uh, how we've deployed and use our nuclear arsenal and things like that. Um, And so, since I can't find this in the Book of Revelation, it just makes me wonder if. If uh, the reason why they're trying to scare us all into believing that uh, that uh, we are going to be having to prepare for and anticipate nuclear war between now and January 20th is because they're trying to help Jim Baker move his um, buckets of food and you know sell them to the general uh, you know Christian prepper community. I just, you know, I just ask the question because, you know, I don't see this as any kind of a valid biblical study that we're hearing here or even a valid study or commentary on um, events that are happening in uh, foreign diplomacy and things like that. I, th- I think that you get the idea. Moving along. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Uh, one of our theme songs we use for the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. And uh, we're heading down to the power, fire, glory, outpouring thingy. And we're going to be listening to uh, <laughs> Miranda Nelson preaching, which she shouldn't be doing. And, uh, well, well, we'll kind of let her explain. But uh, after she's introduced and begins her uh, message, she is displaying that she's not quite sober and uh, and then she will go on to explain that what it is that you're watching with her is that she's drunk in the spirit, which kind of begs the question: Where in the Bible does it say that uh, drunkenness in the spirit is one of the manifestations and fruit of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I I I, I just throw it out there right now to kind of lay a marker down to see if we can figure out what's going on there biblically. But uh, here's Miranda Nelson. Woo-hoo! Hallelujah! Woo! <laughs> Just put your hands out. Oh, Kiana, got a hallelujah. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> oh, God 
we just thank you. Hallelujah. God, we just thank you. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, the police pulled her over. She'd be able to, uh, you know, pass the sobriety test. Oh, for your Holy Spirit. You're a holy, 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 holy spirit in this place. Oh, we say, come more, God. Trip, trip, trip down from heaven in overflow. Hallelujah. Oh, we welcome you. Hallelujah. We welcome you in this place, God. We welcome you, God. We welcome you. We honor you. We honor your presence, Jesus. We honor your presence, Holy Spirit. We love your presence, Holy Spirit. We we love your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We love you, Holy Spirit. We just say, come, do what you Yeah, I don't know what this is. I you know, I one of a, a passage that comes to mind that, that Ephesians chapter five, verse fifteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence. Now, I'm going to note something here. Um, I have no reason whatsoever to believe that Miranda Nelson is, in fact, um, manifesting God the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that is because she, what she's doing you know, in claiming to be drunk and then speaking in tongues without an interpreter in church is expressly forbidden in Scripture. In fact, this is clearly you know spoken against and so which begs the question why should i believe that this is a manifestation of the holy spirit that i'm witnessing or hearing uh while listening to her we continue i want to do in this place tonight god Release what you want to release. God, we thank you, Lord, for prophetic revelation, God, activation. Hallelujah. We thank you, hallelujah, for breathing, God, on our spirits, hallelujah, for breathing on our hearts, breathing on our minds, God, for releasing the spirit of truth in this place, God. Lord, flood this. All right, let, let me give you the passage. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself in God. Mm -hmm. So what she's doing right there is flat out expressly forbidden by God, the Holy Spirit. So I asked the question, if this is really a manifestation of the of the spirit, why is it that her drunkenness, which she's going to actually explain that's what's going on, 
and her absolute willful defiance of what God's word expressly says and you know, has laid down as far as the practice of tongues in church, why would God the Holy Spirit be speaking through this woman? I mean, not only that, she's speaking in a church service. God's word forbids that as well. Place with truth, with light, ah, with your presence, with your spirit. We just invite you, God, to manifest your glory in this place, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Ah, we give you permission. Holy Spirit. You give the Holy Spirit permission. Does the Holy Spirit need a permission slip to be able to do what the Holy Spirit does? Ha. Ah. Anyone smell that? Not my tea. That's you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone smell that? Yeah, I've heard that one before. That's you. <laughs> well, praise God. <laughs> More of the Holy Spirit, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't sound like a demonic cackle at all. <laughs> okay. Well, God, we just we just thank you for your presence in this place, God. <laughs> Why do you think that's God, the Holy Spirit, and his presence that's causing you to behave so contrary to Scripture? <laughs> and Lord, just... Just get us good tonight, God. Just flood this place with your presence, God. Flood this place with fresh oil, with your glory, with your kingdom. Manifest your presence in this place, God. Release sweet new wine, God. Lord, over the live stream, those that are watching by YouTube, God, release your kingdom, Lord. Manifest your glory, God. Lord, let eyes be open and hearts experience God Lord your truth your word your presence Lord God I thank you I thank you God that you would open blind eyes that you would open closed eyes you would wake sleeping people God Lord from their slumber Lord and ah we just call forth Anyone watching on live stream? Uh, she's got a download. She's got a download, folks. She's going to call out a healing. I mean, so you got to check your um, – you ever been, you know, at an event where there's like raffle tickets? Yeah, you got to check your raffle ticket number to see if this is you. Standing for somebody that's been in a coma. God, we call forth your miracle. We call forth their miracle. Right. You, you are going to call forth God's miracle. This is so unbiblical on so many grounds. I mean, how is it that anybody who calls himself a Christian who's capable of actually reading their Bible thinks that this woman's hearing from God? Now, in Jesus' name, I say awake, sleeping beauty, awake. We call forth the dead to arise, and we call forth life to come forth in your body, in your lungs, in your brain, in your mind, in your heart, in your cells. In Jesus' name, whoever this is for, just receive this. Yeah, I don't think that's for anybody. Um, yeah, this is not coming from God because of all of the things that you are literally, literally disobeying. From the written word of God. 
happened for that person that you're standing for, that you're believing for. You might even be in their room right now in their hospital room, believing for them to come out of their sleep, out of their coma. And we just say, awake and arise in Jesus name. Awake and arise in Jesus name. Ha. Ha. Yeah, there, there you go. And we just speak life and breath and the spirit of God to flow into your body, into their body right now. In Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. God's good. Amen. Jesus. Are you guys okay? Um, has anybody never heard me before? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've heard you before. Even featured you here before, and I get the feeling you're not going to repent, so we're going to end up having to feature you many more times in the future. Y'all think I'm whacked, but that's okay. I love the Holy Spirit, and I love Jesus, and I love the Word, so I preach the Word. I get- uh, you, which you shouldn't be doing. I'm in the Holy Spirit, but I preach the Word. So it's- Okay, I'm going to back that up so you can actually hear what she said, because she just flat out just confessed that she was drunk in the holy spirit yeah i wish i was making that up but here 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 it is again Um, has anybody never heard me before (laughs) y'all think i'm whacked but that's okay i love the holy spirit and i love jesus and i love the word so i preach the word i get drunk in the holy spirit but i preach the word so it's good amen (laughs) no none of this is good none of this is christian none of this is biblical what you are doing it, well, number one, you are self-deceived. This is not the Holy Spirit. Number two, you are deceiving people into believing that you're speaking for God when you're not. And yeah, Miranda Nelson is uh, just yet another manifestation, if you would, of the growing apostasy in the visible church. And if the church were to truly um, be brought to revival, then it's people like Miranda Nelson who would be immediately sat down and told that they need to repent. And nobody would listen to them, ever. No one would believe that they're, that she's actually hearing from God. And they would call her to repent and cast her out of the church as a false prophetess. Mm-hmm. If the church ever really woke up to what's really going on. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to continue with our prophetic holy orders twin spin with a Steve Schultz from the Elijah List and then a, a Hillsong update with Brian Houston. Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. Radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! 
wonder when this is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. Um, there's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um... There's a tetherball court, but there's no tetherball or rope. It's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm going to take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm going to have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all these people claiming to be manifesting God the Holy Spirit while disobeying the written word of God are not actually manifesting the Spirit. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring 
Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Our rank is based upon your monthly commitment. The lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's made after that at $24.95 a month. After that, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month and Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. That's right. It gives us a sure and firm financial foundation so we can budget, plan, uh, you know, plan our expenses accordingly. It takes some of the peaks and valleys out, if you know what I mean, in our giving so that uh, we can actually make it through certain months where it gets really thin around here. But, uh, you know, it's a great way to support us. So if you haven't already joined our crew, Please do so. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute at one time, you can do that by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Uh, we, we are under a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin. Let's do this before we get into our next segment. So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we, well, we didn't have, we Shabbat. Mm, Shabbat Shunday. Yeah, that's right, Shubba. That's uh, Heidi Baker. So we're going to be heading over to the YouTube channel of Prophetic TV, and they are going to be interviewing somebody that I don't think we've ever covered here at Fighting for the Faith, although somebody who I'm extremely aware of, and his name is Steve Schultz. And Steve Schultz is the guy who runs what's called the Elijah List. And the best way I can put it is the Elijah List is like <laughs> is like the list of all of these spiritual viruses and diseases that are spreading throughout the body of Christ. And unfortunately, uh, Steve Schultz believes that these people are actually hearing from God the Holy Spirit, the likes of Amanda Wells and <laughs> folks like that. When they're not, yeah. But uh, here's his uh, recent interview on Prophetic TV on YouTube. Uh, here we go. This is Bobby from EagleMountain.tv. I am here today with Steve Schultz from The Elijah List. We are so happy to have you, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Steve spoke an amazing word at our Eye of the Eagle Prophetic Roundtable uh, first session last night on going before the courts of heaven and contending with God. Um, try to get that on our website, eaglemountain.tv. Uh, it was amazing. So I just wanted to steal Steve while he was here and ask him some questions. Now, if you're not familiar with Steve's ministry, he founded Elijah List uh, Ministries. And what they do there, he and his team, they have... Uh, just right around a hundred prophets, prophetic people. Yeah, none of them actually hear from God. 
um, sending them prophetic words from all over the country, and they have about three hundred thousand subscribers. That they send those times three hundred thousand people who are deceived into believing that these prophets are hearing from God. Words out to. I felt like the Lord showed me they're a vault of the words of heaven, the timeless words of heaven. No, they're not. Uh, the Elijah list is not a vault of the timeless words of heaven. The Bible, yeah, that that thing called the Bible, yeah, the sixty six books there in that Bible, you know, beginning with Genesis, ending with the Book of Maps, uh, right after Revelation, yeah, that is the vault of the words of God, not the Elijah list. That God is entrusting to them to steward, and out of that vault comes precious gold and silver. And no, what comes out of that vault is pus filled, sick, diseased doctrine that takes our eyes off of Christ. And things from heaven uh, that are being disseminated out to all the world. Maybe you've seen uh, the Elijah list or read a word um, from there or been to one of their conferences and your life has been impacted. You know what I mean. And uh, Steve, again, we are just so honored for the task, the mission that God's given you, and you said yes to it, and your team has said yes to it. Yeah. I know personally that you've paid a price um, to walk in that ministry, but had you have not, uh, you and your precious wife, um, there's so many people uh, across the world who either would not be hearing the word of the Lord yeah. like they would or now do because you guys are, have been faithful, or maybe have, wouldn't have been trained in the prophetic. You guys... Yeah teach and train and bring speakers in that uh, just really release the presence of God in the prophetic. I just want to thank you. Really? Yeah. People like Amanda Wells release the presence of God in the prophetic? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll just mention that, yeah, there's a, there's a pretty severe price to pay, but if most people go through trials in their lives anyway, so if we're going to go through trials, we might as well do it with the Lord, you know. So uh, there's God... Gave me that great message last night out of contending with God because not he didn't put the trial on me. God never puts these things on us, but it's amazing what he'll speak prophetically through situations. And uh, now I wouldn't I wouldn't change that. What God speaks prophetically through situations, huh? Experience now for the world sounds like the reading of omens to me. Well, I know you guys would agree with me and just say a big thank you to Steve for being faithful to walk through that. And obviously, his heart is, is pure, his heart is devoted to... Uh, really? Uh, Steve Schultz's heart is pure? Getting the Word of God out to all of us. So No, he's not getting the Word of God out. He's getting a counterfeit Word of God out that is literally taking people's eyes off of Christ, which is what the written Word of God, or who the written Word of God, points our faith to. Steve Schultz's list of prophets and their so-called Word of God is counterfeit currency. Uh, I know you joined me in thanking him for being faithful to do that. Mm. Steve, I have a question for you. And, and again, seeing you and your team as just such a rich uh, stewardship of the word of God. I felt. And he's not talking about the Bible. Uh, those who are viewing today would love to hear out of all of the words that you get. And again, you have world-renowned prophetic people mm. that are... Uh, no, you have world-renowned false prophets and prophetesses. You know, the likes of like Amanda Wells, Cindy Jacobs, Dutch Sheets, and others. 
that you're looking to or that are looking to you to disseminate the Word of God, you are receiving these amazing words. What are the top two or three words that you feel are either real... Quick, grab something to add this to the back of your Bible. ...right now, um, or just seem to be a confirmation of what heaven's saying on earth. Again, you guys get words all the time. And so... If you could, if it's possible, sure. to just narrow down a couple of those top two or three words or themes. Oh yeah, they're getting they're they're, they're getting like you know a direct pipeline of new words from heaven, uh, falling right into their lap all the time. Tell us the most important ones. Uh, notice he's not pointing us to the written word of God. Sure, God's saying glad right to. Um, in, in, a, in a sense, it's a little bit hard sometimes to just give you the top two or three when we're getting hundreds and hundreds. But what happens is. In a sense, we're like the school of the prophets. Um, uh, really? Uh, in, in the Bible times, you know, they, they were saying to Elisha, don't you know the school? Of, they would, the school would say, don't you know that your master is going to be taken away today or soon? And what it is, is they got together and they're all hearing this one thing and they, they combined it together and to give one revelation to, to Elisha. Well, that's like that with us. So I get all these words and these themes come forward. And I'll just tell you some of the themes that are coming forward that are just amazing. One of them is, and you, you might say, well, that's not a very encouraging word. Well, it kind of is because God is speaking to the church and he's saying, look, you know this frustration you're all feeling mm. about there needs to be something more in the body of Christ? That's me. Wow. That's me allowing and in some ways encouraging this frustration because out of this frustration will is about to emerge this explosive move of God. Uh, there we go again. Yeah, I, if you've spent any time in the charismatic church, they're always talking about that thing that's just over the horizon, that explosive, big, ginormous revival thingy, that shaking that's going to, yeah... They always talk about that thing, and it never really seems to arrive. Um, the, of the new things of God that he's about to do. and when just The new things of God, uh-huh. Before, if you look back in history, most of the times when God suddenly explosively moves, it's because he does it, he, he gets people in a place where they're so frustrated, they're in prayer, they're saying, they're crying out for more. And then he finally says, now I can do this thing because you cried out to me. You know, he says to Moses, I've, I've heard the people. They've been crying out to me. I've heard their pain. I've heard their, their crying out for justice. And now I'm going to move. So that's what one of the things God is doing in the body of Christ right now is he's saying, look, uh, I hear your pain. I've even allowed some of it to come your way. I didn't cause it, but I've allowed it so that you'll call out to me. When you call out to me, I'm ready to move. Uh, yeah, I don't need that word, by the way. Second um, Timothy 3, <clears throat> starting at uh, verse 10. You, however, young Pastor Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters, that's what Steve Schultz is, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, 
continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, this would be the written word of God, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So you'll notice here that apparently the big good work that's coming, that Steve Schultz says, the Holy Spirit says it's just around the corner. Yeah, It's not the written word of God that is preparing us for this. It's the word of God in the school of the prophets from the Elijah list that are preparing us for this. These people are not hearing from God. We continue. One of the big themes that we're hearing is that the frustration is happening is divinely allowed. And some of it may be caused, some of the frustration is, say, caused in the sense that he causes us to be dissatisfied Mm -hmm. with the same thing. The, the, The next theme is... Uh, is a truth about the coming days. I think the way Kim Clement put it, if I can get this right. He's... Really, Kim, Kim Clement, uh-huh. Another false teacher and false prophet. These are the end times, but this is not the end of time. Okay, oh, wow. We are in the end times, but we are not in the end. Yeah, the Bible teaches we've been in the end time since Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. Read your Bible. I don't need Kim Clement to tell me, oh, these are the end times. It's like, if you know your New Testament, it's like, well, yeah, duh. It's been the end times since Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. Of time. We've got years and years ahead of us for which out of which the church is now going to be encouraged and allowed and loved and and wooed to to bring uh, so don't worry we don't you know they don't know when the day or the hour is but they know it's not anytime soon is what they're saying Re- you you know that you know that Jesus isn't coming back this year next year or in in you know the year after we got many many years ahead because Kim Clement said so this is audacity of the, the most ridiculous kind. As many of the other five billion people on earth who haven't heard the name of Jesus or don't know Jesus, because he's not willing that any should perish, right. which means he's, gonna, he's got a lot of work for us to do. And how unfair would it be for him to suddenly say, okay, it's time for the rapture. Let's get out of here. Let's get you out of here so you don't have to have any more misery or any more conflict and leave five billion people without the Lord. Right. Now, so, so we're moving into a time where we're going to see a great many, you know, Bob Jones was given a word about the billion souls. That uh, Bob Jones, false prophet. Man, that hasn't come to pass yet. But I believe God is saying right now we are on the precipice of those billion souls. And I, yeah, it's, it's just, just over the horizon. We're at the precipice now, the billion soul Harvest revival thingy is supposed to be happening. Not shocked me it was in the next year or two that we wow. would see these billion wow. souls. So uh, beyond that, um, and this one encourages me. We've prayed, you've prayed for years, starting with when Jesus was on the earth. We began to pray. We were taught to pray, "Your kingdom come, 
your will be done. We pray mm-hmm. it all the time. Now we're 2,000 years into that prayer. Right. And God's about to answer that. Now, his, the kingdom is here now. We all know that. You know, in fact, Jesus says, look, if I cast out demons or the devil by the finger of God, yep. then the kingdom of God has come. So the kingdom has been here since that. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I like to say it. Yeah, and Jesus in Luke 17 makes it clear that the kingdom is already among us, and it doesn't come, the arrival of the kingdom visibly doesn't come by observation. When Jesus shows up, he's, you know, he's literally going to show up and end time in a moment. Read the last part of Luke chapter 17. The crass, but God gave the devil the finger of God. <laughs> okay? right. And he says, if I give the devil the finger of God, then then you now know that the kingdom is here. So the kingdom's always been here, but now it's like if we could represent... Yeah, notice, everybody always twists. The, the Thy kingdom come, thy will be done thing. Finally, God's going to answer this this prayer. He's been answering it since Christians have been praying it. You see, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying that God's will would be done among us now. And that, how, what is God's will? That we repent, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. When people are regenerated and brought to penitent faith in Christ, the kingdom of God is now among us. Uh-huh. And his will is being done among us. Graphically, the, here's the kingdom of God, if we could say it's like up and we're down. The kingdom of God is like heaven's coming to earth, mm-hmm. earth is coming to heaven. We're entering a time, and my, my spiritual mentor, who's now gone to be with the Lord, he was 85-year-old, Wade Taylor, he said, he said, he had just told me in 2012, we've just entered the kingdom era. Wow. So, and other, other saints... Uh-huh. So, apparently, uh, we've just entered the kingdom era back in 2012. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see the you know the sign telling us you are now leaving this era and entering the other era. God, we're saying, there was a guy named Arthur Burt who's gone on to be the Lord who said we're entering the kingdom. Other people are hearing this prophetic word. We're entering the kingdom age. Mm-hmm. So the church age enters the kingdom age. They merge together, and sometimes that's the reason we're seeing such conflict on the earth because there's a there's a, a, a conflict of kingdoms like we've never seen. Wow. People, uh, yeah, wow is right because none of this makes any sense. And where's this taught in the written word of God? Answer: It isn't. And notice what this what this does. This takes your eyes out of the written word of God, puts your eyes on well, Steve Schultz and the people on the Elijah list. Oh, they're hearing from God. You're not, but they are. Oh, they're hearing from. Oh, and here's here's the thing that they're trying to. So what do you do? You just kind of Look, put the Bible aside. You don't. You, you got to hear the fresh thing that God is doing. The, the new thing that He's doing. You got to be prepared for it, right? And now your eyes are off of Christ. You're severed from the head, who is Christ, and you're following after a false word. You're following as, after a counterfeit word that takes your eyes off of Christ. And yet, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter warned us, warned us in the written word of God about all of this that is going on. So here's what he says. You can find this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, starting there, where Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you 
the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Yeah, that's a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. And I believe me when I tell you, Steve Schultz and Patricia King and Amanda Wells They would sell their mothers into slavery to have experienced that. But here's what Peter says. When we heard the the, the voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what is Peter pointing us to? Not to those claiming to have received dreams and visions and things like that. He's pointing us to the written Word of God, This is more sure, more firm than even his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's his point. And we live in times when people are just deceiving and being deceived. And so the idea here is don't lose your footing by those claiming to be hearing from God when they're not. The Scripture and Jesus himself warned us about these last days when people would be claiming to be hearing from God There would be false Christ, false prophets, great apostasy, and open rebellion. Open rebellion to what God's word says. And all of this is the precursor of Jesus' own return in glory. Now, let me give you another passage that will kind of bear this out. And the passage is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy, the rebellion, that's what apostasy means, the rebellion comes First, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and false wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the last days are not marked by great revival or anything like that. It's marked by great apostasy, 
false claims. And it's so obvious it's not even funny. Like Miranda Nelson literally breaking three very direct commandments written in Scripture regarding the Holy Spirit and her role as a woman and then claiming to be receiving a manifestation of God the Holy Spirit and being drunk on the Spirit. Patently false. She is one of these people who is deceived and is believing a strong delusion. You know, Steve Schultz of the Elijah List, claiming that, oh, we've got 100 prophets, and, and, and just look at the illustrative list of the Elijah List so-called prophets, and you'll see it is a list of, like, who's who, as, as far as who's been featured here on Fighting for the Faith, as the greatest wingnuts, crackpots, and Bible twisters on the whole planet. Huh? All of this is a deception, and all of it, all of it, is is lawlessness and rebellion against what God has clearly revealed in his written word. And these people are not bound by the word of God. They don't even care what it says. They flat out and egregiously, publicly, flagrantly disobey what God's word says. And they are all the while claiming to be hearing from God the new thing, the fresh thing that he's apparently doing when he's doing nothing. Of the sort. I think you get the idea. Moving along. Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Praising for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs, and soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. Stop the sermon on the mount, he should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest, he'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD, just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Buddha, solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches, thanks to all you stupid people. Praise the Lord for modern Christianity. said religion should be free. Yeah, that's right. So we're heading down to Hillsong, and we're going to be listening to a part of a message from Brian Houston, where, no joke, Brian Houston is going to be teaching themes uh, found in the prosperity heresy. Yeah, you know, oh, you want to get from God, oh, you want to be, well, the way you do that is by, you must be generous. But here's the thing. Brian Houston has learned his lesson. And what I mean by that is that years ago, he wrote a book called <laughs> God Wants You to Have Money. Yeah, he, he wrote a book about all about that. And he took a black eye. Yeah, that's poor Brian. I mean, he really took it on the schnoz uh, as a result of his uh, teaching the, you know, really crassly the prosperity heresy. And so he's learned that you, you teach the prosperity heresy with kind of muted innuendo nowadays. Yeah, you don't teach it as crassly as you have in the past. And so the idea 
here is you have to catch what Brian Houston's you know, throwing, but he's he's going to teach it via insinuation and innuendo, but not as crassly as he's done in the past. Here's Brian Houston to uh, teach us how generosity is a different world. Here we go. Generosity is a different world. It really is. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and verse 25. The world of the generous. Think about generosity for a moment as a world. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Do you know, I believe with all my heart that's true. People who live their lives stingy, they live in a small way. It kind of hems them in. They have a sm- now, when a preacher talks like this in the context of a church service... Uh, what is generosity referring to? Oh, yeah, it's referring to putting large amounts of money in the bucket as it comes by, right? Um, yeah. So the you know, so what's he talking about here? What what what's he what's he throwing out there for us to believe? Well, apparently, if you're generous, you know, give a lot of money to Hillsong. Whoa, your world's gonna get larger and larger. Yeah. Uh huh. View on life, they have a small view on the people around and about them. They have a small view on anybody who's different than them or anything that represents change. Stinginess just kind of brings your world down and shrinks it. Whereas generosity, you get a greater worldview. You have a greater perspective. You lift your eyes higher. You see further. You just live in a bigger world. Well, it says the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed in verse 25. And those who... Yeah, from the message... Yeah, so I find this kind of fascinating. No context. We're just going to parachute right into uh, Proverbs 11 and, uh, and, and you know, basically, you know, just say, hey, listen, you know, generosity is going to make your world bigger. Let's take a look at what's going on in Proverbs 11, and we'll kind of get the idea of where this is going. And we're going to start with uh, verse 16. Yeah, and let's read a little bit from Proverbs 11. A gracious woman gets honor, and the violent men get riches. Interesting. Violent men get riches. Interesting. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Fascinating that he doesn't talk about, you know, verse 19, no. Those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Notice sin versus, you know, righteousness and walking according to God's will as as opposed to living in, in rank sin and rebellion. He doesn't talk about that. No, no, no. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good. The expectation of the wicked ends in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. 
Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. The fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more will the wicked and the sinner? And so you get the idea. This is an interplay between the righteous and the wicked. And this is not giving some principle for how to get wealth or make your world bigger. No, this is all in the context of living according to the will of God. If you're not sure what that is, consult the Ten Commandments. And, you know, the righteous are those who, by the way, are those who are righteous by faith. Yeah, that's right. Covered in the righteousness of Christ and doing good works because they are already made righteous because of Christ. Yeah, so he's not doing that. No, no, we're not going to walk through Proverbs 11 and, you know, from a good translation. No, no, no. He's he's trying to, you know, teach the prosperity heresy via innuendo. Others are helped. So think about generosity as a different world. It's the ground you stand on. It's the air you breathe. It's the vista you see. Yeah, Proverbs 11 isn't about generosity. It's about the righteous as opposed to the wicked and how they live. You see a different lie of the land. You see things differently. It's the language you speak. Generosity speaks a different language than often you'll see in the newspapers or through the television screen or maybe from the people at work. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of seeing. It's a different way of living. Generosity is your inner world. It brings wealth to the inside and it's your outer world. Generosity, I really do believe. Yeah, that's right. It brings wealth to the inside and your outer world. Yeah, he he keeps kind (laughs) of... He doesn't want to just talk crassly about, you know, just wealth. So he's, oh, it's inner and outer. It's both. It's both. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Impossible new roads and attracts supernatural overflowing new rivers. The world. Oh, yeah, that's right. Your generosity attracts supernatural overflowing new rivers. That's not what Proverbs 11 says. Now you're, you're teaching something weird. Generous. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The ground you stand on. Listen to Isaiah 32 verse 8. It talks about the generous person. It says the generous person devises generous plans. And in their generosity, they shall what? They shall stand. Now notice Isaiah 32 verse 8 out of context. Um, That's a problem. And let's take a look at what's going on in Isaiah 32. We'll start at verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed. The ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity. To practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, to deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel... His devices are evil. His, he plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words. 
Huh, that sounds a lot like the prosperity preachers, does it not? Even when the plea of the needy is right. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. Now you'll notice verse 8 in the ESV, which I think is a far better translation here, um, is not talking about, well... Uh, generosity, as if somehow it's going to create generosity. Yeah, he's just ripped it out of context. No note on the uh, on on what it's talking about. And it's funny, Isaiah thirty two is talking about the same themes as Proverbs eleven. Interesting, but see, he's not interested in rightly exegeting. Either of these passages. We're just going to rip these verses out of context and we're changing translations. We're using the Rick Warren method of teaching. We'll start with the message. We'll go to the New King James Version. We'll fly over to the NIV in order to weave together a tapestry of a false teaching, but not actually exegete God's Word. Just a one off act. It's a stance, it's a way of living. Generosity is the ground you stand on, it's the air you breathe. We breathe oxygen. And I genuinely believe that it's generosity that gives oxygen to your vision. That gives yeah, that's right. Generosity gives oxygen to your vision. Says no biblical text anywhere. Oxygen to the purposes of God in our lives to gives oxygen to our capacity to make a difference and to bring change and transformation to the world around and about you. Generosity is the vista you see. In Proverbs chapter 22, in verse 9, it says, he who has a generous eye will be blessed. What's a generous Let's take a look at what's going on in Proverbs 22. It's weird. Every verse out of context. Every verse out of context with no note, with no eye for even what's going on. Oh, we're just going to talk about generosity. So he who has a generous eye will be blessed, dot, dot, dot. Proverbs 22, verse 9. All right, let's take a look at it. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, here's the reason why. Listen, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 9, out of context from the ESV, says this, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, comma, for he shares his bread with the poor. Now, notice here, um, well, Brian Houston has quoted Proverbs 22, 9, He who has a generous eye will be blessed. But he doesn't read the rest of the sentence because he's not talking about the type of generosity that Proverbs 22.9 is talking about. The generosity that Proverbs 22 is talking about is the one who takes from his resources in order to help those who are poor and needy, sharing with them. See, Brian Houston's not talking about that. He's talking about the person who writes a check to Hillsong. Yeah. We continue. It's not one great big eye in the middle of your forehead. That's not a generous eye. A generous eye, it's the way you see. You see things through eyes of generosity. And when you see that way, believe me, you'll see opportunities to be generous everywhere. It's not only the way we see, I believe it's the way we hear. You hear things different. And you suddenly hear 
opportunities to be generous everywhere. So generosity, it's a word. It affects everything. It really does affect everything. It is your inner world. It is your outer world. It is a language that we speak. In Proverbs chapter 10, it talks a lot about your mouth, your lips, your words. It's uh-huh. It talks a lot about your mouth, your lips, your words. You've got to speak these things into existence, you know. The, the mouth of the generous feeds many. Our words speak life to people, feed many. I've often asked our church, if the people around and about you, your wife, your family, your children, were dependent on your words for their nourishment, would they be malnourished? Would they be starving? Sadly, there's households out there where people are not generous and it shows on their words. There isn't any encouragement. There isn't any life put into people. There isn't any hope put into people. And they're literally starving through lack of encouragement. And so the, the, the lips, the mouth of the generous, the Bible says, feeds many. I really do believe that generosity, it can carve out in your life impossible new roads. We've seen the generosity of our children. Generosity will carve out in your life impossible new roads. Really? Over the years, for our church collectively to see amazing new roads open up to us. New roads, bringing new opportunities. Right, yeah. See, the generosity, wealth given to Hillsong has opened up new roads. you got to see this. He's not, he wants to be very careful how he phrases this. But the gist of what he's saying is quite obvious. Possibilities. I love God because he's the ultimate generous thinker. He is the ultimate bigger thinker. When his disciples were thinking Jerusalem, he's thinking Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's always thinking bigger than we are. And I pray that our generous hearts can open us up to that kind of generous world. Yeah, your generous hearts will open you up to that generous world of God. Yeah. But you you got to be generous. Yeah, so make your check payable to Hillsong, care of Brian Houston. Jesus' name. So generosity, it's not based just on circumstance. You know, it's not something that changes according to our circumstance. And you can see that again, often in the scripture, the Macedonians. I love their example. And the apostle Paul points to their example because they were people in desperate need. They really were an overwhelming financial crisis in a challenging and a difficult time. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, I make known to you the grace bestowed on the church or the churches in Macedonia, that in difficult times, a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty. You wouldn't think those two words would belong together. They're like the antithesis of each other, joy and deep poverty. And yet the abundance of their joy and the abundance of their poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality, in the riches of their generosity. And it's true, you know, when someone's truly generous, the one thing that they never lose, it seems, even in the darkest times, is a deep sense of inner joy. Joy's not built like happiness. Happiness comes from the root word happen. So it's all to do with what's happening, but joy is different. Joy, even in the darkest times, People who are genuinely generous will stay generous. I went to Sri Lanka. I'd never been to that part of the world. I'd never been really outside of our part of the world here. So it's the first time out of a Western country and my eyes were opened. I didn't stay in beautiful hotels in the big cities. I stayed in people's homes and on concrete floors. And in that environment, I saw people's generosity. 
You know, you see their deep joy and their happiness. And it's a challenge. Because honestly, wherever I've been in the world where there's difficulty and poverty and desperate needs, it's amazing how people still have a joy about them. And that's just proof that some of the things we value are not the true values in life. But they're also amazingly generous. People didn't have money to bring for their tithe and their offering. So they're bringing chickens and they're bringing eggs and they're bringing their... their yeah, notice the story is to make it very clear. He's talking about generosity regarding tithes and offerings. Yeah, Product so that they can give and tithe and honor God. And so I want you to know that sometimes we're in difficult time can think, well, look, this is obviously not our time to be generous. And you know, the the amounts aren't always the same, but a true generous heart, the heart is always the same. You've always got that heart to give and you'll always give with the same sacrificial heart. And if a whole church does that, believe me, you're about to see a miracle. Generosity, it's expressed in an act, but it's proven in a lifestyle. And the truth is, I, I think so often that we can just see generosity as an act and offering something we do. But the reality is that it is an expression of your generosity and it's an overflow of your life because generosity is actually proven in a lifestyle. I see generosity. Yeah, Are you proving your generosity with your lifestyle of giving to Hillsong? In futuristic. By that I mean it doesn't look backwards at what we have done in the past. You can always look back and look at the testimony and give God the praise and give God the glory. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, Paul speaking again to the Corinthians, and this is what he says, and this I give advice, it is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now it says for the completion of of it. So in other words, not... Yeah, Second Corinthians is uh, referring to a gift to needy Christians, an offering taken up for them. Y- yeah, not for, um, you know, this is not a tithe that's being t- discussed there. Back in a year ago, let's do what we said we would do then. But the truth is that generosity isn't looking back at something I once gave, something I once did. We're as generous as our current reality. Where your heart's at today, that's how generous you are. And I pray that we'll be... Right, so we don't... Listen, whatever you gave in the past, that was in the past. You got to keep giving if you want to be able to get these blessings that God promises to those who, who are generous. Yeah, that's right. The people who are giving to get. He's, he's being so careful in how he's talking, but he's still teaching you know, the prosperity heresy. Very carefully. But yeah, you give in order to get. That's right. It's the great religious Ponzi scheme. And, of course, Brian Houston is the ultimate example of the guy who, who gave in order to get. And now you've you got to be like him. Right. All right, we're up on our uh, second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Heading down to Gateway Church, uh, special guest speaker Dave Smith, mangling the story of Joseph. Yeah, stay tuned. I want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Just do a little comparative work. Is the story of Joseph about you? Or is it about Jesus? And when you make it about you, does it make any sense? Well, we're going to listen to somebody try to make it about us. and You'll know it doesn't really make any sense. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Gateway Church, Dallas, Texas. 
But we will not be hearing from Robert Morris. We'll be hearing from guest preacher Dave Smith. The name of the sermon is Living the Dream. And we're going to note that when it comes to application of the biblical text, it's pretty tough to apply when you make it about yourself, especially in regards to the story of Joseph, which in type and shadow really is one of the best parts of the Old Testament that points us straight to Christ, his incarnation, emptying of himself, his becoming a servant, dying, rising again, and being exalted in glory. It's absolutely fascinating, fascinating when you look at Christ in the story of Joseph. It's there in, in you know, spades. But when you make it about yourself, it no longer makes any sense. But I'll let uh, Dave Smith try to explain to you how that supposedly works. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Dave Smith and his sermon titled, Living the Dream. To speak a message to you on the subject of living the dream. One of the reasons I'm particularly excited is as I was in worship, I, I saw a picture. And it was of like the start of a running track. And I just felt the Lord gave me the phrase, new beginning. Ah, so right off the bat... Um, Dave Smith is claiming the ability to receive direct revelation from God. Oh, that, that gives him God's stamp of approval. So obviously, whatever it is he's going to say next, well, God must approve. I mean, after all, God's giving him visions and things like that and inside information that we mere Christians uh, don't get. And I felt for people all across Gateway in, in all your campuses, this is going to be a day of new beginnings for many of you. Some of you have been on the journey for years, but the Lord said, see, I'm doing a new thing. So with that as a kind of... Yeah, see, I knew it doing a new thing. That's an Old Testament passage that's really referring to God doing a new thing in the new covenant. Yeah, Christ is the new thing, the forgiveness of sins through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. That's the new thing. Of a prophetic... Uh, undertone. Let's look at this glorious subject of living the dream. Here's the headline. God has an amazing dream or plan for your life. Says what biblical passage? Yeah, there is no passage that says that. And he wants you to dream the dream, but even more than that, he wants... God wants me to dream the dream. Uh, where in uh, the story of Joseph does it say that Joseph is the one who dreamed the dream. In other words, it was on him to actually do the dreaming. He received a dream from God, but he didn't obey by dreaming the dream. Already, we've got a problem. I want you to dream that dream and then live it for your good and for his glory. Now, that sounds so spiritual and Christian, but the Bible doesn't say this. And I want to use as a text today, uh, a focus on Joseph, Old Testament character Joseph. What a great picture of somebody who not only dreamed the dream, but actually lived the dream. The full story of Joseph is found in the Old Testament, but chapters 37 through chapter 50 of the book of Genesis. And I know in the past you've done a great 
sermon series here at Gateway on that subject. I've written a, a book on that subject. It's kind of a life message with lots of sort of applications from the story called Living the Dream that you can get after the service. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to do like a summary and an overview of the Joseph story, just as uh, Stephen summarized the Joseph story in Acts chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. Let me read you this summary of the Joseph story. It says, these patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God, say but God, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles, and God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. I love the story of Joseph because it applies on a number of levels. It's very much a story about an individual. So it's someone we can relate to. It's not just a story, uh, it's actually not a story about a church leader. It's a story about a marketplace leader, somebody who ends up in a high position of government. But today, for those of us who are a marketplace leader, Joseph was a marketplace leader. So working in a prison, yeah, um, <laughs> in a prison in the BC era, you know, before plumbing and things like that, that's a marketplace leader? Who are in Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. I believe the Joseph story is a picture of what God wants to do for his church all across the world, including even... Yeah, so, and there's the problem. So Joseph is a picture of what God wants to do in the church. No, it's a picture of Christ's incarnation, death, resurrection, and exaltation, and salvation of the world. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I just would compare, you know, my teaching on this to what this guy's saying. Even more in and through Gateway Church, he wants to lift us up to be like a Joseph company who will open the storehouses of his grace and bring uh, we're oh man, really and bring salvation to multitudes. Amen. So I'm looking at a Joseph company today. So I want you to just filling their heads with nonsense, beginning with, oh, the Lord spoke to me during worship. You to receive this message for yourself, and I trust it will have application for the church too. First thing we need to do, though, if we're going to live the dream, is we need to dream the dream. Right. So you better get dreaming quick. You you need to obey this. God wants you to dream the dream, so you better dream it. Get going. Go dream it. You see, already we got a problem with the application because Joseph had the dream while he was asleep. He wasn't seeking it. It was a prophetic dream given to him by God. He did nothing to earn it. Joseph's story effectively starts with him receiving two dreams, two night dreams from God. It wasn't a lot of detail. It was just big picture stuff. God letting him know that he had a plan for him to become great in God's service. I don't know whether you've ever had a night dream. God speaks to us in many ways, doesn't he? Sometimes we can have like a, a vision in the day. Maybe as you're reading your Bible or you're listening to a message or you're... Yeah, where does it say in Scripture that because Joseph received a prophetic dream from God that we too are going to receive prophetic dreams from God? 
No biblical text says this. In worship, and God speaks to you, and you know that. God is calling you to something. So It's not very rarely. I've never had an audible voice, but I very often know those promptings of the Spirit preparing me for what is to come. And the key thing is that we learn to listen to God because there's something about receiving God's plan. Yeah, yet I read out from Second uh, Timothy 3 that everything, every good work that we're called to do, every good work that we as Christians are called to do, the written word of God prepares us for that. Uh-huh. Plan, God's dream, that it causes our faith to come alive. And it helps us keep going. No, I've got to back this up because that was just flat out heresy. Yeah, that what we just heard there was heresy. And let me sm- back this up just a smidge. Hear it again. God's plan, God's dream, that it causes our faith to come alive. And- no, God's dream does not cause our faith to come alive. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. This is a problem. And it helps us keep going when the times get tough. For me, per- no. Actually, when you read the uh, New Testament, the things that the thing that helps Christians keep going when times are tough is the hope of eternal life, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new earth. Read the New Testament. You know, t- in Scripture, it talks about faith, hope, and love, and our hope in the, uh, the, our eternal life, in the redemption of our bodies and the resurrection, is the thing that we are pointed to over and again as the thing to keep our eyes set on during times of difficulty, trial, persecution, and suffering. Not some dream destiny thingy. Personally, this issue of dreaming God's dream, of if you like seeing ahead of time what he had planned for me, has been critical in our journey. We got called to start a church in a city called Peterborough, which is a relatively small, at the time was a very unchurched city in the UK. And we had a prophetic word. God said to us, I want you to think big or you'll limit me. I want- uh, then you weren't hearing from God. Mm-hmm. You can't limit God. <laughs> So whatever was talking to you wasn't God the Holy Spirit because Scripture reveals that God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. You just described a very impotent God. Oh, you got to dream big or you're going to limit my power. The bigger your dream, the stronger I'm going to be. Yeah. I can tell right now, based upon what he said God told him, that wasn't the God of the Bible speaking to him. I want you to think big or you'll limit me. In a time when there were very few large churches outside of London, I felt God saying, I want you to dream my dream for this city, for a large strategic... I want you to dream my dream? Joseph just received the dream. God didn't tell him, I want you to dream a dream. And it's all on you to dream it. You see, this doesn't work, does it? Strategic breakthrough church that's going to reach multitudes of people. And so I started thinking big and dreaming big. And while I was dreaming big, people were staying away in their thousands. Who's he preaching about? Christ? 
Uh uh-uh, uh, he's preaching about himself. But you know, there's something about hearing from God. There's something about having God's dream for your life. It keeps you going even when things don't seem to be on track. Because I want to tell you, God is a sovereign God and he is the master of timing. But it's not just that we get dreams at the beginning of our lives. I believe for many of us, we come to certain transition moments in our lives. And I believe there's many of you. Important words. I believe. I believe. I believe. Notice he's not saying scripture says. Scripture says. God's word says. The book of Genesis says. The book of Psalms says. I believe. These are his opinions. These are man-made doctrines. You hear? Who at a transition point. And sometimes God reminds us of dreams that he's given us in the past. Sometimes he enlarges and expands the vision that we have. We've been going 20 years. We've been faithful to think big for uh, for seeing a strategic church in one city. And then God basically, as it were, so I'm taking off the blinkers now. I'm enlarging your vision. I want you to start dreaming my dream for other key UK cities and even to start playing your part together with many others to help see the nation come to God. So how do you apply this? How do I, you, you, you need to, you, God's telling you, you all better get busy dreaming a dream and don't, don't make a small one or you'll limit God. So there you go. Start dreaming. Uh-huh. This is not at all like Joseph. This is a work that you're supposed to do. Joseph didn't do anything to, re- to earn or create those dreams. Mm-hmm. That's an enlargement. And I believe for some of you, God wants to enlarge your perspective and give you an even bigger vision for your life. It's one thing to dream the dream. We need to dream the dream. Now, how many know it's another yeah. whole... We need to. You, it's up to you. you. Get busy, start dreaming. ...whole deal to actually live the dream. Yeah, more law, by the way. This isn't even biblical law. There is no commandment for you to dream a dream. And now you got to live the dream. So... New commandments coming from heaven now that are not actually in the Bible. You need to get busy dreaming a dream, and and then you better start living it. Because you remember, if you're not doing what God has willed for you to do, then you're sinning. You're probably going to go to hell if you don't dream a big enough dream. And if you don't live it, oh, man, oh, there's going to be a reckoning, I'm sure. The world isn't changed just through dreamers. It's through people who press through stay the course, and actually end up fulfilling their destiny. And that's what we see in Joseph's story. Right. Did you you fulfill your destiny yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Call me lazy, but um, Jesus Christ fulfilled his destiny, and by doing so, he fulfilled his destiny for me and for you. And the story of Joseph points us to Christ, not to me or you. He dreams the dream, and then he goes through what I would kind of summarize as three main seasons. The first season is between the age of 17 and the age of 30. It's the season that I call preparation. Can we say that together in all the campuses? Preparation. Then at the age of 30, there's a sudden turn, and he goes through promotion. Say, promotion. And then remarkably, from that moment, he has an 80-year run that I want to summarize here as 
provision for purpose. Can we say that together? Provision for purpose. Preparation, promotion, and provision for purpose. Let's look at each of these in turn. The first season that Joseph entered into, almost immediately after he'd had the dream, is the season of preparation. I thought it was the season of prison. I don't know about you, but when God speaks to me about the future, the God doesn't talk to me about the future because Scripture doesn't say that God's going to be talking to me about the future. You're just making this up. Something in me that wants it to happen right now. It's called impatience. But normally in the timing of God, there's a time lag between Vision conception, and sometimes it can be days, months, even years before the vision is finally fulfilled. Yeah, can you uh, give me a biblical text that actually says this? You're taking a descriptive text and creating a prescription that I'm supposed to obey. Joseph's case, it was a 13-year time lag. In Moses' case, do you know how long it was for him? 40 years. The the disciples were fast-tracked. Yeah, see, you're just like Moses. You're just like Joseph. You're as important as the apostles. Under the personal ministry of Jesus in three and a half years, I say, please, Lord, I want to go the disciples' journey. (laughs) And then we need to ask, that. so why why the delay? It's not that God is deliberately holding things back because he's mean. No, God's a good God. He's a loving father. He wants the best. But he often knows that we're not ready to live the dream when he gives us the dream. Let's look at Joseph. How Really, which biblical text says that? Which one says it? How old was he when he had that dream? He was 17. He has a dream, basically. One of the dreams was, I'm going to raise you up above your brothers. Guess who he immediately went and told the dream to? The brothers. How many think that was not very smart? How many think that may have been displaying just a little bit of youthful pride? He's not ready to run a massive empire. And so God will use things in our lives. I want to tell you, God is not the author of bad things in our lives. God is a good God, but he will use bad things that happen to us and good things to prepare us to get ready to live the dream. Whether we're starting out in life or whether you are in transition and you're about to go into a season of re-preparation or you're right in the middle of it, preparation is something that we should rejoice in and embrace, even though sometimes it can be really tough. And in Joseph's case, there were at least three key tests that he faced and passed in that preparation season. Uh, They all begin with F. The first is the forgiveness test. Really, where are these tests uh, mentioned? The forgiveness test, where is that test actually spelled out? And it says that he passed the forgiveness test. And then whatever test that you're going to come up with next. You're putting something into the Bible that isn't there. 
sure many of you know the story, but imagine being betrayed by your own brothers, nearly killed, and then sold into slavery. How many think that was a pretty bad day for Joseph? I just wonder whether those years in exile, he must have battled with feelings of bitterness and resentment. I'm sure he did. And yet somehow, hundreds of years before the cross, Joseph found grace to first forgive his brothers and then later on to be reconciled to them. How many think that's a great example? Yeah, the reason being is is that he exemplifies in biblical typology the life of Jesus. I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to know that really tough stuff happens to people. And I don't want to minimize the offenses that may have been caused you harm and pain. But what I do know is that somehow you need to go to God. You need to go to Jesus who's forgiven you an unpayable debt. And by the Holy Spirit, and maybe through the help of others and through ministry teams, at the end of a service like this, come and say, I must get free of this offense because I don't want anything hindering me living the dream. I remember years ago receiving an, an offense, and it wasn't a massive one, nothing like Joseph. I remember the Lord saying to me, you can either allow this offense to be your stumbling block, or like Joseph, You can forgive and use this opportunity as a stepping stone to the next stage of my destiny for your life. Really? God said that to you, huh? Wow. See, look at all the direct revelation that is totally changing the story of Joseph. He's not hearing from God the Holy Spirit at all. I don't know what he's hearing from. Maybe it's his own blackened, selfish heart. And it may be the devil, but the one thing I'm 100% sure of is that he is not hearing from God, the Holy Spirit. I implore you in Jesus' name, get free from offense. That's the forgiveness test. Secondly, possibly even more dangerous test for Joseph was the, the, the test of faithfulness. Oh, it was the faithfulness the... test. Yeah. Did, oh, man, see... Man, Joseph, man, he earned all of this stuff by passing all of these tests. Yeah, I hope you pass all your tests too. Yeah. It was the test of staying pure when he was faced with a full-on and persistent sexual temptation. There he is. He's on his own. He's a young adult. His testosterone all in working order. And I'm 100% positive that the vast majority of the people you are talking to there have not passed this test. Nope, they haven't. And you've just condemned them. Now, he is going to make mention of the fact that, well, people have fallen short of this and, and that there is forgiveness in Christ. But watch what he does. He literally is saying, in order to live the dream... You've got to pass this test. But if you've already failed this test, well, I mean, how are you supposed to live the dream? So you, you, in order to live the dream, it's all up to you and your obedience. And yet, well, Joseph, by not giving in to the temptations of Potiphar's wife, is a lot like Christ. When tempted, he didn't give in to the temptations. Few 
of the patriarchs expressed this kind of ability to withstand temptation, which is another reason why this points us in type and shadow to who the fulfillment really is, and that's Christ and what he has done for us. And nobody knew him. Remember reading a book by Bill Hybels years ago, Who Are You When No One's Looking? Here he is, away from home, and this powerful Egyptian woman, Potiphar's wife, let's call her Mrs. Potiphar, comes at him full on. Do you know what she says to him? Come to bed with me. How many know there was no subtlety in that? But Joseph, here he is, amazingly, Because of his love for God and his, somehow he realized that to do this would be a sin against God and a sin against marriage. It says Joseph ran from her. Sometimes people, they say, well, I've got this problem and I'm praying about it. My answer is, by all means, pray about it. But while you pray, make sure you're running. (laughs) Flee. Right now, you may have a, Mrs. Potiphar, could be male or female in your life. Could be a real person at work. You're getting a bit too close to. Maybe it's some kind of deal on the internet. I want to say a number of things. If you've already fallen, come and receive grace and forgiveness and restoration in Jesus' name. But if you're near the edge, if you're about to fall off, I pray that this simple visit from the, U- from the UK will be a a warning to you. Can I say, step back from the brink. You want to live the dream? Make a decision to pursue faithfulness in the sexual area in Jesus' name. There it is. So if you uh, have, you're not going to be able to live the dream unless you pass the uh, sexual faithfulness test. What a mess. Amen. Yeah, you can clap God for that. And then the third test. So clap God that I won't be able to live the dream until I pass the sexual faithfulness test. Right, okay. Was the fruitfulness test. Here's the test of learning to... Yeah, where in the scriptures are these tests laid out for us? Again, yeah, they're not be successful and fruitful even when you're at the place that is not God's ultimate for you. You see, Joseph didn't wait until he was ruling Egypt to suddenly become successful. He experienced success and fruitfulness first as a slave and then second in prison. There was something about him, his, his honoring of God and the fact that he walked with God. The fact that he honored his bosses, even tough bosses like Potiphar. In other words, he didn't wait for the circumstances to be ideal before he decided, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do my best right where I am. And I believe this is hugely, hugely important for us. You see, sometimes we can wait, well, when the big break comes... Then I'll make it. No, please, in Jesus' name, make a decision. You're going to do the best 
for God right where you are now. And it may be a confined place. You may feel confined in a home setting. You may feel confined in a, in a job or career. You may feel confined in the church and you say, this is not the ultimate that God has for you. No, but if you're faithful and you're fruitful where you are right now. If you are faithful, if you are fruit, it's all, uh, this is law, 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 la 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 it's all up to you don't you want to live the dream you got to dream it big it dream it big and then you've got to live it it's all up to you now god can and will give you more in jesus name because here's a little aside where did joseph learn the leadership skills to run a nation he learned it by running potiphar's household and then by running the prison. And never despise the day, the day of small things. God will allow you to go through things in order to prepare you for what he has for you. Our main preparation season, Karen and I, in King, was definitely when we were starting Kingsgate Church in the early years. We were young, we were trying to work out issues in our marriage and how to bring up a young family. Then there were huge financial pressures. We literally had to pray every month for basic bills. And we kept honoring God. We gave, we tithed, we gave our offerings. Yeah, see, uh, yeah, uh, Dave Smith here, man, he, he passed all his tests. See, if you, if you want to, you know, have, if you want to live the dream, you're going to have to pass your test too, like Dave did. And then there came sometimes when literally we had nothing left. There's one occasion when Karen needed nine pounds six p. That's the equivalent of about twelve dollars for some formula milk for our baby, and she didn't have it. And she was praying in the kitchen, and she heard uh, something comes to the letterbox and opened it up, and it was the exact amount that we needed. Fast forward fifteen years, we're having to believe God now for millions of dollars for land and a church building. I want to tell you, it took no more faith to believe for the millions than it did for the nine pound six P. Because what you learn in the little is the same for believing for big. Amen. And God is a provider in all the seasons of our life. And then the biggest test for me personally was just, I just couldn't seem to get this church going and growing. I remember, I don't know if you've ever been here, handing my resignation into the... I thought God grew the church. Just saying. The Lord. I said, Lord, I quit. (laughs) We had this conversation going. I said, I quit. And he said, I don't accept it. Your resignation. I I remember saying, God, I can't build this church. And I kind of heard a little smile and a word from the Lord. I'm glad we've got that one settled. Wow, God talks to you conversationally. Oh, you're so impressive. Yeah, I'm just one of those ordinary Christians who hears the voice of God in the written word. Wow. If only I could be as faithful and fruitful as you, then maybe I can finally get it. Wait, I got to dream the dream. I got to dream it big. And, and then I, and maybe then after I pass all my tests, I can, I can be like you. And I, I can be really, really living the dream like you are. Yeah. That's my job. 
God was dealing out, as he was doing with Joseph, all that pride and self-sufficiency. If anything was going to happen, it was going to have to be by God's power and by God's grace. If you come to us at that time in those early years, you wouldn't have seen a lot on the surface. Because do you know what was happening? There wasn't a lot of fruit above the ground, but what was going on? Lots of roots were going down under the ground. God was helping us put deep roots in the soil of his love and his grace and how to walk with him, how to honor one another in marriage and how to put him first even when times were tough. And for some of you right now, you may be in a root work season, not a fruit work season, but if you want to, build, if you want to see something... Yeah, all of this just assumes that the story of Joseph is about you. Something big and glorious for God. Allow him to put deep roots down in you in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news, though, is that preparation doesn't last forever. I thought the good news was that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and was raised again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. From someone. But if you're in the preparation season, can I say in Jesus' name, don't quit. Don't take shortcuts. Don't compromise. Be like Joseph, pass the test, and then the glorious promise is, in God's time... You see, you see that's the thing. It, 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 the text says that God was with Joseph. That's what the text says over and over and over again. And Dave Smith has changed it to, Joseph passed all of his tests, which no text actually says. And it goes from now God being the one getting the glory for what he accomplished through Joseph to Joseph getting the glory for passing all of his exams, you know. Huh, it's weird. Who are you going to believe, Moses or Dave Smith? Because Moses mentions nothing about the tests that Joseph passed in order to be able to really live the dream. Timing. Promotion will come. We go from preparation to promotion. In Joseph's case, it was an incredibly sudden and dramatic promotion. I mean, here he is, 13 years later, he wakes up. I don't think he'd have had angels just sort of singing, saying, this is the day. But then suddenly he gets a call and he goes from being basically an exiled prisoner to, in effect, running the empire in one day. How many think that's pretty sudden, dramatic promotion? Amazing. Right, and the same thing can happen to you if you pass your tests the way he passed his. If God can do it then in the Old Testament, how much more can he do it now with those of us who are in Christ and are seated with him in heavenly places? God is... The God of preparation, he's also... So you notice that this kind of teaching you teaches you to despise the actual work that God has called you to do. The very good works that you are already doing, you know, as husband, wife, father, mother, child, employer, employee. Uh, yeah, this teaches you to despise all that stuff and, and to dream big. Oh, man, I know right now I'm, I'm a mom and I got four kids, two of them are toddlers and... Oh, it's so difficult, but don't worry. I've got a big dream destiny thingy 
and God is going to turn me around and release me from the prison of motherhood so that I can go and change the world and it'll happen in a day. Uh Uh-huh. That's what this false teaching does. Also the God of promotion. If you go back to the passage in Acts chapter 7, listen to how God promoted Joseph. It said, God gave him, Joseph, favor, say favor. God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave... God gave him. Gave. He didn't earn it by passing tests. Gave Joseph unusual wisdom, say wisdom. So that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt. And I believe the same today. God wants to pour out upon us more wisdom and more favor. Yeah, where in scripture does it say that? You say, I believe God wants to, and then you just start filling in the blank. Whatever is the it, whatever it is you're filling in the blank, you need a biblical text that says it. Where does it say that? More wisdom and more favor. Let's briefly look at those. What was the wisdom that God gave Joseph that enabled God to promote him? The wisdom that God gave Joseph that enabled God? What are you talking about? Well, the first and the obvious answer is he gave him the gift or the wisdom to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. It's what I would call prophetic wisdom. Can I say, if there's a guy in the Old Testament, way before Pentecost, interpreting dreams and exercising a prophetic gift, how much more can we um, use and exercise prophetic gifts, charismatic gifts of the Spirit in the New... This is a, this is a logical non-sequitur, and it is a biblical non-sequitur. You don't do theology this way. The question is, do you have a biblical text that teaches this doctrine that he's teaching? And there isn't a single one. New Testament as the people of God. Amen? God is still pouring out his spirit of prophecy upon his people. And that's only part of the story. Because if that's the only wisdom that God had given him, I don't think Pharaoh would have given Joseph, the running of the country. I mean, would you give the running of the country just to a guy who can interpret some dreams? I think at the best, if that's all he'd done, he might have been promoted to being like a chief magician or something, chief seer. There's another side of God's wisdom. that Notice, he's just engaging in speculation, not exegesis. That Joseph also exercised. He not only had a prophecy... God gave Joseph a plan, say a plan. Now, I know some of you are naturally more prophetic and spontaneous. Some of you are more natural planners and ducks in a row kind of people. But I want to tell you, if we're going to change a nation and we're going to become all that God wants us to be. If we're going to change a nation, is that our job? I thought our job was to make disciples of all nations. Totally different. Mm Mm-hmm. We need to be part of a church and we need to work together in teams and we need to hold in balance what very often, sadly, God's people separate. We need prophetic and pragmatic wisdom together. We need the whole deal if we're going to change a nation. Amen. We need a vision and we need a plan. And if you look at the life of Joseph, we need hard work too. 
God gave him an upgrade of wisdom, but he also gave him favor. You know, God has poured out extraordinary favor on Gateway Church. God poured out incredible favor. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they have God's favor because it sounds to me like they're suffering from a famine of the hearing of God's word rightly taught. They are literally vexed and tossed about by false teachers. Doesn't sound like favor to me. On Joseph. We in Kingsgate have had our own journey of favor from those early days when it was tough and nothing seemed to happen. It seemed like we moved out of the preparation season. We started to grow. We started seeing a glorious multicultural intergenerational family being knitted together by the Holy Spirit. And after a number of years, we'd outgrown all the facilities in our city that we could rent and were in multiple services. And we had a word from God, it's time to go and buy land. Cut a long story short, we ended up with a piece of land, we raised money for it, we went to the planners and we lost the planning. And I remember coming out of the planning office and I was angry, I was frustrated. And I started rebuking the devil. And God said to me, whoa. They say, don't rebuke the devil, this is me. Can I say when a door been, door's been closed and God said, this is me, guess what? He's got something better in mind. And so we let go of that site. In between, we identified another site. This time it was double in its acreage, in a better location. And we got favor with the city authorities who basically thought, we want this church to grow and prosper in the city, which can I say is pretty remarkable in a UK city. They got behind the vision for what we were going to do. We went back to planning, and this time we won the vote unanimously. Better location, double the acreage. God is a God of great favor. See, he's just like Joseph. Yeah, okay. When you come against an obstacle, if the favor of God is on you, he can remove the obstacle. He can change rules and regulations and policies on your behalf. God wants to pour out his wisdom and his favor upon us. And since that time, the church has grown beyond all recognition. And we've begun to sense him leading us into other cities and a sense of a burden for the nation too. Say preparation, promotion. Then the third season that Joseph entered into, and I think this is so instructive for us, is provision for purpose provision for purpose. The thing I love about Joseph and why he's one of my favorite characters is he gets promoted at 30 and he stays in God's A1 plan for his life for 80 years. And what's missing from the story of Joseph is any sexual scandal, any financial misconduct. He's there keeping his integrity for 80 years. I think that's amazing. Yeah, what's amazing is that Christ began his ministry when he was 30 years old too. Yeah, the story of Joseph, like I said, points us to Christ 
And when you make the story of Joseph about you, you are setting yourself up for all kinds of misery and failure and self-defeat because, well, you still sin daily and sin much. And that's the problem. You're making yourself the hero of the story when the hero of all of Scripture is Christ. See, Joseph doesn't just go through stuff and have a good beginning. He has a good ending too. I don't know about you, but certainly for me, in my heart for you, individually and for this great church, is you don't just have a good beginning, you have a good ending too. You don't just start well, you finish well. Joseph finished exceptionally well. Through those 80 years, he kept honoring God. He kept honoring Pharaoh. He was reconciled to his brothers. He loved and honored his father. He opened the storehouses and saved multitude. And he ended up leaving a great legacy for the next generation. And I believe one of the main reasons, there are many, but one of the main reasons that Joseph managed to, if you like, stay in God's plan, was he knew why God had promoted him. It wasn't for his glory, Joseph's. It was for God's glory and God's purposes. It was provision for purpose. Now, Pharaoh did give Joseph huge influence. Basically, he was like the vice president, except in Joseph's case, he had real power. I mean, he effectively was allowed to run the country. Former Hebrew slave running the country, extraordinary. He also gave him great affluence. Pharaoh basically gave it his, his like his credit card, his signet ring. How many know that'll buy a lot of stuff? But, jo- but Joseph knew that the stuff and the elevation wasn't, For Joseph's sake, God, the good God, the sovereign God, the loving God who loves people everywhere had raised Joseph up for a purpose. Just like he wants to bless us and raise us up for a purpose. He wants to bless us. Just like he wants to. Yeah, we're not Joseph. To be a blessing. And what you see in Joseph's later years, the the youthful pride has gone. And there's a recognition and a revelation as to the reason why God has so blessed him. Yeah, because it's a lot like the crucifixion. What his brothers meant for evil, God worked for good. Uh Uh-huh. A couple of times, virtually in the same way. First, when he reveals himself to his brothers, he explains to the brothers why he was there in Egypt. He says in Genesis 45, verse 5, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Many years later, at the end of his life, he acknowledges that while the brothers had intended to harm him, he says, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, say after me, the saving of many lives. Right, which is proof that this is all really pointing to Jesus. Why has God raised up Gateway Church? To preach Christ and him crucified for our sins, 
to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing and teaching all that Jesus has taught. I mean, that's what any church exists to do, right? Saving of many lives. Why does God want to bless you as an individual? Save many lives. In Joseph's case... Yeah, you're turning us into the Messiah, and we're not. It was primarily about physical salvation. He has the plan, doesn't he? Opens up the storehouses and literally saves his family, the people of God, from starvation. That's God's plan. Uses one man to save a whole future nation. But our God's heart is not just limited to one people. God loved those that huge Egyptian empire too, through Joseph, multitudes were saved from physical starvation. And God is still calling his church to be a storehouse to help the needy and feed them physically and clothe them and house them. Amen? Still a huge part of God's heart for the poor. We have an even greater mandate today. It's not just physical salvation, but spiritual salvation We now have an even greater gift than Joseph had because there is one who has come since Joseph who's like Joseph, greater than Joseph, who actually did die, not for his sins, but for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And he is now raised up to the highest place in the universe and he wants us, his body, if you like, to open up the storehouses of his grace and offer salvation to multitudes in this city, in this nation, and you can see the connection between salvation and our own salvation. You can see the connection. That doesn't mean that we're Joseph. That means Jesus is. To the nations in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the purpose for the provision. God wants to bless us to bring the greatest blessing of all, salvation in Jesus name. As we close, I'd like to invite you to stand wherever you are in all the campuses, wherever you're at. Some of you are in preparation season. Some of you are in transition. Some of you know that. Yeah, this is nonsense. Joseph's life does not provide a parallel pattern that we're supposed to be expecting to come true in our lives. We're not called to dream a dream. We're not called to live the dream. We're called to repent and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. He's the one who the dreams pointed to, and he fulfilled his mission perfectly for us. That you are where God wants you. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit's now descending on the audience. But I want to pray two things. How many of you say, God, I need greater wisdom in my life. I want greater favor. And so I want to pray. I want you to imagine that we're going to lift up both hands. And in your left hand, as you lift up your left hand, we're going to say, God, will you upgrade our wisdom? And then as we lift up our right hand, we're going to say, God, give us more favor. Because in whatever season of your life, you need more wisdom. And you need more favor. So just lift up your left hand right now. Pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for your wisdom. Done. Yeah, you see, when you make it about you rather than Christ, the application gets all squirrely. 
and the whole the point is the scriptures are about Christ. These stories, type and shadow, point us to Jesus. And when you see that it's about Jesus, the application doesn't become squirrely. It makes perfect sense. These things were written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. He is the one who never sinned to come and save us who were born dead in trespasses and sins. Yeah, you think the scriptures are about you. You'll never understand how to rightly understand them. And that's what we heard today. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carry death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>